0: This podcast contains explicit language.
1: What's good, everyone? You're listening to the Post Fuji podcast. I'm Gene Demby, GD. I'm the founder and editor of Post Fuji. I'm here with Taryn Hall. Taryn, what do you do?
0: I'm the co host of the Post Fuji podcast, and I am also a Detroit Revitalization Fellow. And manager of strategic partnerships all right. at Gene Heights.
1: whole fancy, fancy oh, title. I too mean, wow. much. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> you have
1: all right. And I'm also here with uh, my play cousin and PB blogmate uh, Joel Anderson.
2: Joel Anderson, what do you do? I am a uh, reporter with BuzzFeed News, and I am based out of uh, Palo Alto, California.
1: And we have a special, special guest with us today, Greg Howard of Deadspin. Greg, how are you doing, man? I'm
3: doing great, man. How you doing? I'm good. How was your week, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was eventful. Um, it was very eventful. I didn't get as much done. As uh, I expected to, <laughs> you know, I guess going going back and forth with uh, Jason Whitlock on my personal blog isn't the, you know the, the best use of my time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um, we wanted Greg here today to talk about race and sports writing, um, about race in pop culture writing, just uh, a bunch of stuff that he's sort of been writing about for the last year. And then things got really hot this week. All right, so you just mentioned Jason Whitlock. For those who don't know, he's explain to us who Jason Whitlock is.
3: Uh, so Jason Whitlock, he's a a pretty popular sports writer, a black sports writer. He he and I crossed paths, I guess, when he was at ESPN, and he um, he just went to ESPN from Fox Sports. This was like August 2013, mm-hmm. and it turned out he was gonna. It was announced that he was gonna be the editor of you know what he called Black Grantland at the time. You know this really big, well funded site on ESPN about the intersection of, you know, race and sports and culture. And it sounded dope, and, uh, you know, two years later, he had trouble, you know, I mean, not trouble, he failed to get it off the ground. Black Grantland, which is
1: now, is actually officially called The Undefeated. The Undefeated. So in 2015, The Undefeated is still not off the ground. Um, And Greg, you wrote a series of articles for Deadspin, which is the sports site that's part of the Gawker Media uh, tarantula. <laughs> uh, about. All right. About. All right. We'll go with that.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, the first one's called Can Jason Whitlock Save ESPN's Black Grantland from Himself? Um, and you wrote about Jason Whitlock's struggles with getting established black writers to sign on to the to to joining him at the site. So Jason Whitlock has a long history of delving into what I think we could fairly call respectability politics, right? Uh, sort of chastising yeah. black folks um, for what he sees as demeaning behavior. Uh, he famously went after or infamously. Went after Serena Williams by calling her fat and lazy. Whitlock's that's that was sort of his the way he positioned himself like always sort of contrarian, really, really sort of c- very critical of black athletes and hip hop culture. He has this long ascendancy right to the height of sports writing. Um, at the same time, this is costing him all sorts of credibility among black readers and black journalists, right? Who sort of dislike that tack he's taking. Um, And Whitlock, you know, to be fair, it's it's not like he's doing it cynically. Like, he's a true believer. This is the stuff he believes. But you write this long reported piece about Jason Whitlock's troubled tenure trying to get this site at ESPN off the ground. It gets a lot of attention. gets a lot of clicks. gets shared around. A lot of people start talking about it. And then, you know, you've later published uh, his, like, manifesto of, like, what the site should be. Um, I have no idea how you got sourced up to do that. And so earlier this summer, Whitlock was removed from the helm of the site that never launched. Still has not launched. About a week and a half ago, before we're taping, Whitlock was removed from ESPN altogether. And so, so Whitlock has basically been gunning for you ever since, right? Why is Jason Whitlock coming for you
3: now? Uh, he's coming for me because he thinks I'm the reason why he lost his sight, which would have, you know, been his legacy as, um, you know, a, a powerful black sports writer, the most powerful black sports writer. And we have beef because you know, he started off trying to recruit me. Um and then when it you know, it fell through a few months later, that's when I started reporting on the site. It started off as calling some people and, you know, saying, have you heard anything about the site? You know, are you are you going uh to Black Rantland or whatever? Has he tried to contact you and it you know, and from there, um it opened up this whole can of worms with it turned out no one <laughs> was going to the site. No one had any interest in going to the site and the reason were because of his specific, um, you know, because of how he got to that station was, you know, stepping on the the backs of black people and women and, and you know, young black people. Telling
1: you, nobody, no one bit. I mean, we're talking about ESPN, which is part of the Disney company, which has really, really deep pockets. And so presumably these are, protect, are attractive yeah. gigs at this Black Grantland site, but they had a hard time filling it.
3: Yeah. You literally couldn't pay people enough to go, you know.
0: So, are people? Has anyone been like, well, he just reported on this because he was salty? Like, have you gotten any pushback in that regard? Oh
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. What's you your know,
0: response I, to that?
3: You know, you kind of got to laugh it off. Um, I was, you know, I was, I was freelance for Deadspin, came and tried to recruit me. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't have like a, a job really. And so we got in an argument, um, and then he never spoke to me ever again. But you know, at the same time, Dad's been offered me a job, and so like, you know, I, I was okay. And you know, if, if someone says you're just salty, you don't know, you don't know me, and so that's okay. You know, my mom doesn't say I'm salty, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's right. fine. You know, n- none of this is out of hatred or anything. I think the best answer is that it literally, this whole thing literally started with what's going on with that site that was supposed to be dope. You know, let me, you know, I still am interested to see like what happens to it, and then, you know, calling, you know, so my friends really, you know, like, you know, other young black people and people saying, you know, there's no way I'm going to that site, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and so it's not, it, it, it was never a um, vendetta or anything like that. The last thing I wanted to do was write about Jason Woodlock again, but we got a tip that was too good. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the tip that you got? Um, that he is um, a terrible manager. <laughs> and a terrible editor and uh, just a nightmare of a person and I said oh you know because that's been we report on uh, media on sports media so you know I, I ran I ran down the tip from you know a couple people I spoke to of a few people and from that I realized that it was a big story and I realized that if anyone can do it it's it's going to be me I wasn't going to hand it off to anyone because I you know I know more about them and you know from the first time I wrote an article on them, you know so the i was the best one to write this article
2: right do you think it's fair yeah, when he said when he says that i mean i know a lot of people have said that you're the proximate cause for him you know not being uh, in charge of that site anymore do you think it's fair when he says well actually espn is going through a culture change now and they're shedding a lot of big names you know keith oberman uh bill simmons um you know colin cowherd among them do you think that that's fair. Well, is much a part of it or or, or or no?
3: Um I mean I'm sure it is. They all you know, they all left or you know, uh for different reasons. Um, I'm sure they are setting a lot of money. But you know, they're, they're I think they're trying to cut three hundred and fifty million dollars over the next two years. I think, you know, they could cut all the big talent and not even make a dent. you, you know, like um, Whitlock, I think, was making just under a million dollars, I believe, a year. So it's not like, it's not like they're reaching there, <laughs> you know, to make these cuts. Um, Whitlock had to get out the paint because Whitlock failed, you know, and that's why his big name got out because they gave him a site for two years and he, he couldn't make a website in two years. You know, Fox Sports made him a Tumblr for his own, of his own, and they got it up in a day, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was obviously with him at the helm, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get it together. That's why he was gone. You know, I think it's a coincidence. No, but you became the, the
1: I mean, you you became the person who...
3: I became the scapegoat. Right, or you
1: became the person that, I think, uh, that to a lot of people looked like the most incisive critic of Whitlock because of the essays you had done. I mean, and Whitlock obviously metabolized it that way, too. I mean, he says in his tumblr post that went up earlier this week he's going after you specifically we'll start by exposing greg howard deadspin's black mascot a clever updated jason blair um so who um he's obviously not a fan of yours um he obviously felt like you betrayed him that blog post goes on like that for a while he sort of said that you misrepresented yourself when you were coming to him to you know get uh his side of the story when you were doing the first essay and then you clap back yeah i don't even know what to say about the clap back it was just it was etherist. I mean, it was, and we should say, and I should, we, are, <laughs> Joel and I are both employed by media companies we are not allowed to like sort of disparage other media companies. We're, you know, we're both employed by right. major media organizations. <laughs> right. So if it sounds like we're <laughs> right. not we're just, going right. in or, or is it, we're, we're starting to play in the, you know, playing the safe. <laughs> so as Whitlock is like licking shots at you, right? Like as, as this stuff sort of heats up this week where he's basically saying, next week I'm gonna I'm I'm drop this, you know what I mean? I'm gonna drop this ill mixtape, you know what I mean? It's gonna be <laughs> shots fired, blah, blah, blah. So he says that he's been hyping us up all week and he's coming at you, is there any sort of direction, directive from your bosses that's been like, do not respond, right, just let it go?
3: No, I, I never get that. Oh, really? Um, but, you know, they they say, um, no, yeah, it, it's make it good, you know. Um, my, my thing about Jason Whitlock was that I knew that he was going to attempt to hurt me, which is fine. Uh, but I thought he was going to try to hurt other people who used to be on the site, other people who he thinks wronged them. And so I, I wanted to see if it were possible to end it before he hurt people, you know? Um, cause I'm fine. I I know who he is and he knows, I know who he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he can't really say anything to hurt me. Um, but he was going to hurt other people. And so I said, you know, I got to. I think it's the, yeah, it's the first time I said okay. We, if we're really going to do this, then um, you know you got to put on, you got to put on the ether <laughs> beat <laughs> You know while yeah. you're riding, uh, and you know that's what happened. I, I you know I, I don't think I've ever written anything unfair or wrong about Jason Whitlock, but you know he's got a lot of flaws, and when you list them, they tend to pile up really, really fast, and so that's what all that clapback
2: was so you you said that he was going to try to hurt you and obviously he dropped something that he my you know uh,
3: my, i got arrested one time yeah we, um, okay we got to talk about this yeah it's actually really it's really funny i have i have the arrest report right here <laughs> and so uh it's not the dopest uh thing i've ever done but i could you know where is the arrest report? Um, i was looking for funny. it earlier um where would,
1: where would you where would you find it
3: um so I, I think he called like he called uh, like like Baltimore County Records okay. or whatever. Um,
0: and he said you assaulted and, a barmaid.
3: Yeah, he said I, he said I assaulted a barmaid and he played it up as um, as if I were violent towards women. And you know it was it was uh, five years ago, but I was a little worried that it was going to uh, you know it was going to get out that oh Greg you know this person who's written. Um, you know, who's called other people misogynist and, you know, writes, you know, I have feminist opinions and stuff like that. Oh, he's this ridiculous, uh, you know, he's actually this ridiculous hypocrite who fights women and stuff. And that's that's like, Cleet Travis called me a domestic abuser. Um, you wow, know, really? When did that happen? And... Yeah, he did that on Twitter. Uh, shout oh, out wow. to that dude. <laughs> but, I mean, so... <laughs> so what actually yeah, so happened? Oh, I mean, I could read you the report <laughs> if you want to read, if you want to hear it.
2: Yeah, go for it. Go um, for it.
3: Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we we are we. Are, I think we were about to post this just so you know everyone. Because the only thing that I mean, the only thing that worried me, I spent yesterday like I, you know I called some of my friends, you know here, you know at Jezebel, you know friends that met me after this, and I just wanted to make sure like I am who you think I am, but I forgot. Um, what well, was on the report. So, you know, Diana Moskovitz, who's at Deadspin, she got the report, um, and here it is. Um, so on October 2nd, 2010, at 1658 hours, so 458, um, I, Police Officer Wilson, along with Officer Hood, was working the Fells Point Fun Festival in the 1600th block of Tame Street when we were approached by the owner of Shucker's Bar, Andy Rosenthal. Mm-hmm. Andy Rosenthal stated that he had put the defendant who was later identified as Greg Howard, that's me, at his bar for being disorderly and causing a disturbance to staff and customers. Andy Rosenfall told Gregory Howard that he's not allowed back in the bar. Due to the large crowd, Gregory Howard had re-entered the bar. When Gregory Howard was told he was trespassing and if he did not leave, he would be arrested. He then retrieved the aluminum 16-ounce Bud Light beer bottle from the bar counter and threw it at Charmaine Johnson, who was a barmaid. The beer bottle missed Charmaine Johnson uh, because she was able to move out the way. Andy Rosenfall further stated that he did not want Greg Howard arrested. He just wanted him to leave. Police officer Hood and myself began escorting Greg Howard from the premises when he began yelling, that's where it gets bad. Um, I'm not going nowhere. I have a fucking ID. Take me to jail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I told Gregory Howard to lower his voice and keep moving, but he refused. During his, this time, a crowd began to gather in Gregory Howard's place under arrest. All events occurred in Baltimore City, state of Maryland.
2: Mm. So, but is uh, that a fair rendering uh, of, of what happened or no?
3: I talked to all my friends. Um, no one at any point remembered me throwing a beer bottle. Do you remember um, throwing a beer bottle? No, no, I don't really remember much of this incident. <laughs> I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was lit. Um, but I, yeah, I don't remember throwing a beer bottle. I I went back to the bar a few months later um, and Charmaine didn't even, she didn't remember me. Um, and you know, then someone like pointed out what happened. Mm-hmm. so uh it was like a it, i mean it was a minor thing i was i was in jail for like i got arrested five so i was in jail for like 12 hours almost exactly for, from the time i was put in cups to the time i walked out um i got 40 hours community service it was uh they did not prosecute um i was dropped so um it was you know it's basically nothing and the, the only thing that bothers me about it is that whitlock tried you know he if he had the report, he had the report. If he you know, if he published the report, um just straight up he would be like, Oh, that kid was um being a drunken an asshole you know? But when when he gets to say, you know, oh yeah, you know, second degree assault, um, trespassing, disturbing the peace and all this stuff without context or without the full report, um you know, he's he's um he's pretending like it was more than it was. So what do you make of the I so, no, I was, so. Oh, I'm just saying, like, we were all laughing today at that spin, <laughs> And, like, you know, people kept saying, take me to jail, take me to jail. You might be the and, first black man in history who was you know, like, no, no, no. <laughs> and the Baltimore of well, the owner, a... the owner, oh. you know, yeah. I mean, the owner had my back, right? The owner was like, I'm not, you know, I don't want him arrested. He's just being an asshole. <laughs> so I thought that, I took that to mean I wasn't going to be arrested. <laughs> you know, so I started talking trash to the cop because always a good move. I think the owner got my back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and uh and then, you know, I got uh I got taken down and I had to go I had to go you know, I had to go downtown. I will say that, um, I don't think I've ever taken an unfair shot at Jason Willack. I've um I didn't really I've never really delighted in writing anything about him. Um, because there's a you know, there's opportunity cost, right? Like it, like like when is ES, is ESPN, you know, or other sites who are looking, are they gonna look on it and give, you know, another personal color um, Grantland money, you know, like millions and millions of dollars budget um, after Whitlock, you know, you could you could probably say that there's probably less of a chance now than if he, you know, if he succeeded. Um, you know, the biggest thing about it is that because he couldn't get any of these big name people like, you know, Tanahasi Co Coates, because he couldn't get any of these guys, um, he went, you know, he hired mostly older writers that, that, their career sort of stalled a little bit or, or younger writers who were just starting out. And so, you know, they're like six or seven um kids there my age, I'm twenty seven or yeah. younger, uh, that you know, that they did they wrote, you know, two or one or zero things in three right. years. You know, that's 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 terrible. You know, that that can be traumatic for their career, you know, like um and their development.
1: One of the biggest tragedies of this has been the fact that there are all these young talented black folks um who thought this would have been the springboard to a thing um, and have just sort of been languishing in purgatory for the last two years of their lives.
3: And he never apologized to him. You know, like, he never once said, I screwed you guys over really bad. Um, and that that, that, that to me, gets to me because that was 100% going to be me. I You know, I was already, I mean, he was like, we were so, it was such a, a done deal that when Dan's been offered me a job, I went to Jason Whitlock, and I was, like, straight up with Tommy Craggs, who was the editor then. I was like, I think I'm going to go to this Black Grantland thing um, because it just seems like, you know, more money, more opportunity. When Despen, so when Deadspin offered me a job, I didn't want to take the Deadspin job with my foot, all, you know, half one foot sure. out the door already. And so I asked Whitlock, I was like, hey, Jason, what should I do? And he was like, you know, maybe you should take the money. uh you know, but if, if you feel uncomfortable doing that, you know, because we're going to have this off the ground in a few months, if you feel uncomfortable doing that, I'll give you $5,000, and then you can just pay me back whenever, or $10,000, sorry. You can just pay me <laughs> back whenever. And yeah. so it, it really – like, I thought this was the greatest dude in the world because I um, – he was just going to give me money. We never even met. To this day, we've never met huh. in person. Um huh. So, yeah, so he was on the, he, you know, I'm in New York, he's in L.A., saying, yeah, I can give you 10000 dollars right now to just sit on your ass until I get this off the ground, you know? And it just turned out, it was like, would you rather someone give you 10000 dollars or would you let rather someone let you borrow $10,000, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I said, I'd rather someone just give it right. to me. So that's <laughs> why I left <live> with that <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs>
0: Do you think that you exposing Whitlock and kind of in the process, like, some of his, the ESPN uh, leadership as well, do you think it's made you radioactive in any way? I know you're good at Deadspin, but, like, have you had any pushback from other media entities? Are you worried about how other folks will perceive you going forward?
3: No, I don't. Um, you know, I, I I think people either already knew who Jason Lelock is or now know. Um, I think people you know who i guess what potential employers or whatever uh you know know who i am and know other work that i've done um i you know i've i never took i don't think i've ever taken unfair shot at him you know um i basically showed what was going on and showed who he is um if it's bad it's because he sucks it's not because of anything i did <laughs> you know so i, I don't feel radioactive um, no I mean you know on a practical level um you know people who would be in charge of editing have you know been like good job <laughs> you know so I don't I don't think so I think I think uh Whitlock's radioactive now which is uh, you know I think he's borderline unhireable, um and that's why he did Fox Sports
2: it's just really weird and you know, I mean just kind of the, to 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 because I just mean I, I remember you you remember Greg and you know, I guess it was around 2006. Well, I think the first time that Jason would like really got on a lot of people's radar, I mean, irrespective of the, the Drew Bledsoe incident, and you guys can Google that if you want, but is when he went after Scoop Jackson. And that's why I kind of think this is, like, really, really interesting because it was about 2006, maybe, 2005, when he went... He and Scoop Jackson both worked uh, at ESPN Page Two. He went after Scoop uh, Scoop Jackson, said he was bojangling. That he was, you know, basically compared him to Flavor Flav. And in fact, one of the quotes is like, "It's about time we, as black people, quit letting Flavor Flav and the rest of these clowns bojangle for dollars." There's going to be a new civil rights movement around black people, and the black and the people bojangling for dollars are going to be put in check. And I just like I think about that today, and I'm just like, man, like. has somebody talked to Scoop Jackson about, like, what has happened as a result of this? Because I just, I just kind of find it, like, really poignant that, like, I don't, I don't think that, like, you know, Jason Whitlock's career is over by any stretch of the imagination. He's still a millionaire. He still has a platform that a bunch of us would be envious of having. But, like, that, like it kind of seems like the end of an era. And I don't even know, like, if that makes any sense to you all. But, like, do you all feel that at all?
3: I kind of feel that way, really. Um, I, I was ta- I've, I've been talking to a few people about this, and um, you know when uh, it's a, it's a specific type of sports writer, right? It's like probably mid forties and up um, who kind of came before the internet, who um, kind of got to say all this ridiculous shit. And I think it, you see uh, how people used to look at at race and at and at gender, and at, you know, and at and athletes, right? And and how they used to speak about it. And before you couldn't pull that shit off anymore. Because, you know, there's stuff like Twitter, which um, levels the playing field, you know, and people can reach you. Back in the, you know, and there, you know, back in the day, if you put a column in the newspaper or something like that, it, it didn't matter if it was the dopest thing ever or the worst thing ever, people couldn't reach you and talk to you. Uh, specifically, not on public forum. You know, so I, I I think that it is—it is sort of the end of the era of an era because um, people can call you out, you know, in a way that they can't before. They can hold you accountable in ways that you can't. And I think you're forced to—people are forced to understand that women, LGBT people, uh, people of color—that these are these are people, you know, because they will tell you themselves.
1: You know, do you get a sense that the conversation around I think I think respectability politics were way more likely to be countenanced like 10, 15 years ago than they are now. Like there's so many people who call that shit out now. You know what I mean, and I feel like a lot of people right. got, have been got caught out there in the last ten years or so because they were still saying the kind of stuff that would have been perfectly that would have never gotten any pushback in two thousand, even right. Like you know, if Bill Cosby gave the pound cake speech today, I mean, obviously Bill Cosby has a whole bunch of other problems, right? But like if, if the pound cake speech was said speech today <laughs> was to happened today, it would be I think widely condemned, right? But like back then really. it was like you know people held it up as like maybe we
2: should talk about this very smart thing that Bill Cosby said, right? No, really,
1: Jolly. You- do you
0: sound surprised? No,
2: no, no, no. Because I actually, I actually think that there's a huge appetite for that, and I think you know one still. Well, yeah, because yeah. I, I, I one thing, I, one thing I'll say like you know for, Bemani Jones is, from my view, is like probably, probably one of the, if not the smartest dude, talking about like the intersection of race and sports and culture, right? And I completely agree. Yeah, and H Town, you know, and uh, so, he, <laughs> and he uh, did q and A Q&A with the Washington Post. Uh, blogger, the DC Sports Blog guy, uh, about Kirk Cousins and RG three and sort of like the coded language around that. So,
1: just for, for your non-sports fans, Kirk Cousins and RG three are quarterbacks for the Washington Redskins. Yes. RG three is black. Kirk Cousins is white. RG three has had a, a really great rookie year. Had a bunch of very bad subsequent years. He was replaced by Kirk Cousins. That's right, all. RG yeah, three
2: was mean. great then bad. uh Uh, Kirk Cousins has been mediocre uh, at best You know, over the course of his career And so, you know, Bamani talks about, like, you know Sort of, like, the language they use to describe those guys And, like, what you know, why people aren't quite being fair with RG3 And I just retweet that And then, like, I get, like, dozens of dummies in my mentions on Twitter (laughs) And,
3: and, like, I just kind of felt like, you
2: know, for whatever Like, I mean, I do think that maybe there's an end of an era But, like, I definitely think that, like there's an audience for people that think that like hip hop is bad, black athletes are lazy um women are just accoutrements to sports like that they they should their their cheerleaders are like sideline reporters that they don't mm. have anything else to offer um so i i like i I do think that there there are people that are willing to clap back and like you know in nineteen ninety four whereas you know Ralph Wiley may have you know had a much more limited platform to like you know, have a sort of a national audience. Like now, we've got a bunch of people that are willing to push back. I still think there are a lot of people that like love those. You know, love hearing that RG three is not smart enough to grasp the offense, and you know, really hasn't been working on his drop back. Uh you know, right. Part in workouts. I think that like that that sort of stuff is always going to be there. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um,
3: right. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, there's always going to be a market for people to to bash. Um, uh, minorities, specifically you know black people. Um, there they're all you know if some some people are white, some people are black who will do it. But it's you know there there will always be a market for that. The problem for Jason Whitlock, I think, comes within the field, right? You know where or or just like within people like black like black people and white people and all the kinds of people who actually who actually read and actually, who actually you know <laughs> know what's going on. Whitlock's biggest flaw that he he does not know, which is which is fine. But he never tries to find out. He thinks he thinks respectability politics are the way, which a lot of really smart people, you know, have before. But uh, you know, but that that if that if that's not the answer.
1: I certainly don't think that there's a non-zero number of people who still believe in respectability politics. I just feel like, you know, even, you know, I mean, think of there's so many moments, some cultural moments that are built on respectability politics from like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was talking to Brenton Mock. Shout out to Brenton Mock uh, at City Lab uh, the other day. who was talking about listening to, this is 30 years ago, but he was listening to um, uh, Public Enemy, you know, Night of the Living Bass and he was like, oh, when you actually listen to it now, I was like, This is really fucked up. (laughs) It's like you know, it's sort of really, 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 um, you know. He's like, this is this. I mean, it's a really, really um, scathing um, uh, critique of black folks for being trifling and you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and being insufficiently, you know, morally upstanding. And then you think of something like Niggas versus black people with Chris Rock, right? You think of the, the. I mean, all of these things were things that were held in good standing, you know, that like, and they were like in the center of the culture. And I just don't think. I still think that. I do think, obviously, that those things inform our politics, black politics, in a lot of ways, right? Obviously, I mean, I'm not going to go into the Million Man March that was here last week, but, like, um, it's still um, part of the politics. But I do think that there is – it is not as widely countenanced. And I wonder how much of it was their f- folks – I think more people like, are just w-
0: woke, maybe. Mm,
1: but that's yeah. what I mean, But, though, but right? it's not I – mean, like,
0: I don't know. I, I don't – I feel like when I read my face some Facebook comments, I'm still um, yeah. discouraged. Yeah. I'm with y'all.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's
0: uh, more people are woke, but not as many as maybe Gene thinks there are. No,
1: no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 I don't think that they're like. I certainly like your Facebook wall is always going to be a, you know a cesspool <laughs> of you know yeah you know what I mean like all the people from high school whatever. But like, um, I do think that. There are more people in like, you know, like Bomani Jones is not alone now. You know what I'm right. saying? Like it's not, it wouldn't just be him saying this is some bullshit, right? You know what I mean? I feel like there's a lot of people who would be saying this is some bullshit. And I, and before it would have been quite, kind of quiet. quieter than a couple of people saying this is some bullshit. And they would have been like, what do you know? You know what I mean? Right. And now it's like, I think it's broadly understood that like, you know, I mean, the Jason Woodlock says something like, uh, you know, reporting on. Police deaths of black people is overstated, which is something he said um that's the kind of thing that to me speaks to someone who is not aware of where the conversation is now, you know like right. um or at least doesn't care what the conversation is now
3: i mean but like what like Woodlock didn't have to get it out the paint at e s p n because of his politics right like they they brought him back uh, he didn't have to. Leave because of what he was writing. he Had to leave because he was a, because he was a terrible editor and manager, and they gave him all this money. Right. He wasn't doing anything with it. But like, that's a good point. I, I that's think a good it's just the fact that we all, you know, we we have jobs now where we can where you know we can write. Um, and and you know there, you know how many fucking black and brown people are at at BuzzFeed? It, you, you know what I mean? Like, at, at, I mean at Deadspin, at Jezebel, you look at you know all these places. You know. Uh, well, you do have you have younger people and you have uh browner people also giving opportunities to you know to 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 write from their perspective and and offer um different Alternative to maybe maybe if black people act better white people treat them better you know like there are more mm-hmm. voices out there who know that that's not the case
0: i was going back through i think the first article and you mentioned it was either the first or second one you were talking about how um one of the women writers had suggested something and it just frightened me that he would take it so personally that she was um she wanted to write about the marvin gay robin thick trial. Um Robin Thick and uh was in a trial with Marvin Gaye's estate about the blurred line song um maybe a couple years ago or so. And mm-hmm. she wanted to write about it, uh, because it was the you know, race, uh and pop culture, um and, and appropriation and all that stuff. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. um and so she had approached Whitlock about it and he just the the way that he interpreted her following back up about it just to see if it w- would even be worth reporting on from what you wrote that was kind of the most telling to me because it just illustrated how like you if some if your boss went off on you like that and you were really trying to like do something new or uh Right from a different perspective, like you say, that like a lot of young black and brown writers get at some of these other platforms. That was that to me in my mind that stood out. as the most um, frightening um, episode of him witlocking, I guess.
1: What did Whitlock? What did he? What exactly did he? Was he upset about in that case?
3: He was upset because he said we shouldn't do this, and when she's like his number two that ESPN hired, not him, and she's got you know she's got this. She's got editing experience. She's got this great resume. Some people would be like, "All right, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna help me out here." Whitlock is saying, "No, there, there's a clear chain of command. I'm the, I'm the number one guy. You're the number two guy." And so he, which is fine, which is, you know, his right or whatever. But he was trying. He denied her to put her in her place. He didn't deny her because about it, it was a perfect, it was a perfect, perfect story for that kind of site. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's 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 hip hop is a throwback to the past. at Jason Whitlock, you know, he he wanted that. He wanted to talk about the past. It was you know, it was, it was uh, black and 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 white and and music, and it was it was hot right then. And he said no because because Amy pitched it. That's why. Right. <laughs> you know, well, if he came well, up with the idea, it would have been fine.
2: Well, I I guess, and I think like. Uh, in, in fairness to Jason, and I'm I'm being fair because like you know I'm contractually obligated to be fair, um, <laughs> and, and also because I believe in like I believe in being fair, just like as as a human being, right? And I you know I, right. and I, I'm an empath. Um, and he did he he, <laughs> he 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 did admit that like his management style wasn't the best, and I think like one thing that was really telling to me in like his first post at the J School uh, Tumblr was that like he believes that sports has like a lot. To tell us about like American life, and I I think that's true to an extent, but he like you can overextend that analogy, right? Like I don't want oh, any of my football coaches like fucking like running <laughs> my newsroom, like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right? yeah. I played I played I played football in college, uh, just like Jason. I'll I'll never forget this story. Like I uh somehow, and I'm not I'm not saying this to say that I got a good SAT score. I got a good SAT score relative to the people that were in my incoming class uh, at, at at my alma mater, and he said man, you could be governor, you know? It, it's just, <laughs> like, you know, um, and I just, like, I these are, like, not me.
3: dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe
2: I could. I could right? It
0: but,
2: depends on the state. But, yeah, like, I just, like, it's just sort of telling to me more of a dude that's just sort of, like, out of step with, like, what it's like to be a manager and, like, what it takes to motivate people. And, like, yeah, that shit plays with, like, 18 and... 17 and 20 year olds Mm -hmm. that like don't know anything about the world, but like you can't talk to grown ass people like that. Uh, people that you respect people that have their own successes and, um, uh, their own professional successes. I wouldn't want to be like talked to like that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I I don't know. I think like he has sort of copped to like not being a manager and like sort of underestimating like what it takes to be an editor and a manager. And also like, I mean, even in his, uh, you know, shots at you, Greg, like, I mean, you even sort of mentioned this, that, like, I think he's just like, I think like maybe columnists don't get edited like reporters do, or like people edit, like, uh, and he, it may have been a really long time since he's been edited, um, in that way. And so I, I think that like that, that's also a part of it too. Right. That he's just like, really like, that's not the spot for him. Cause he's not been in a newsroom like that in a long time. And so it was sort of, when you add that to his politics, and the people that he wants to work for his site um it was just sort of bound to be like in trouble from this jump
0: does anybody edit I mean, that tumblr also,
3: <laughs> i think people looked at it and i think he always got lineups right but like mm-hmm. this is this is how times are changing also is that mm-hmm. like i've had like i said i haven't had a white editor there hasn't been a white editor in chief of Deadspin in like mm-hmm. in like what four years or something like that like since i've been here which is almost three years I've dealt with brown people, you know, and now my editor, uh, my editor now, um, you know, he's, uh, polyethnic, and he has black, and he, he understands, you have people, you know, at Bud BuzzFeed, you have black editors, and you have editors of color, and you have, um, women who are editors, you know, uh, and so you can't, like, the editing that you get is going to be more nuanced, it's going, you know, it's going to be, uh, more right, it's going to be smarter than... Um, if you're a black dude, especially more recently, you're a black dude with a big name, right? And then you give it to a to a white guy, he doesn't, like, you know, it, 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 you're, it's not going to get the same quality of editing, most likely, unless that white guy is like really down for the cost, you, you know. Like if you're if you're writing about feminism, feminism or women, you can't give it to a dude and expect it to get the best possible edit, you know, that that's going to get from a from a uh, from a good editor who's a woman.
1: Or at least a woman who's like a woman who's a woman who's thought about this stuff, right? And that's always the thing. It's like when you go into a newsroom. I literally was just having this conversation with a, a young journalist uh, in Philly who was ta- who was we were having this conversation about taking this gig at this publication in Philadelphia um, that has sort of developed a reputation of being incredibly insensitive on race. And he would have been one of the few black people, the only black person in the newsroom, and he would have been working in that capacity. And we we're one of, we just really frank conversation about whether or not you want to like have your copy go through the hands of people who clearly don't care about this stuff right like i mean if it like you're you're throwing yourself out there without a backstop right which is a really you know a really um precarious place to be it's like a really vulnerable place to be as a writer your editor is supposed to make your copy better um and if you have editors who don't think about the stuff you think about who don't care about it you know i mean it, it it matters. I mean, we're gonna have a whole separate conversation about newsroom diversity here. But one of the things that matters that you one of the reasons that matters that you have a bunch of brown people or a bunch of women or a bunch of queer people in the room, is that everyone is not having the same experience. And somebody, you know, if if it's just me in the newsroom, and I'm like, black people love octopus. And somebody was <laughs> like, that sounds legit. He knows what he's talking about. Um, right. Is it somebody else in the room? Is that calamari? Or... Exactly right. Is <laughs> it fraud? I mean, like... get some hustle. But I mean, like. But if it was, if there were a bunch of people in there, like, uh, I've never heard that before. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be, there would be suddenly the thing is being sharpened, the thing is being pushed back in. You know what I mean? It's being right. refined, yep. um, right. and, and the and the premise is being shot down. And I don't think, I mean, clearly, if you read Whitlock's J school post, I mean, the stuff he's saying about sports is kind of like romantic and not true, like obviously to us, I think if you read the stuff you were saying about like you know sports operates as this sort of um this place where diversity is, is celebrated and and there's uh you know and there's like racial cooperation, and it's like
2: <laughs> not really
1: yeah. you know yeah. like off, <laughs> <the> <laughs> act, he like
0: you, you know what? I mean, he yeah. he's something that really stood out to me was that he thought he wrote about sports and journalism as like really being able to like help us move towards the american dream and all this other stuff and i want i was kind of like what world is he living in
3: i mean yeah, like I the jerk off motion all the way through that <laughs> you
0: know
3: i mean it's
1: it's insane i mean yeah. sports is race is race <laughs> and racial stratification
2: is endemic to sports talk, right i mean talk, just, talk about paying college athletes and see like sort of the coded language that goes around that right like talk about like where you put coaches. a stadium. Yeah, right. Yeah, like exactly. stuff like that. Like this, just and, and then lit like sports fans have at that. Listen to I mean, like my favorite uh, radio show is Dan Labotard show. And anytime like he approaches the subject of race, like you can just hear him read text or people that are, you know, tweeting at the show, and it's just like people do not want to hear it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, sports, you know, in its ideals could be great for some of that and can sort of, you know, hold some of these, you know, uh, you know, romantic ideals of what we think America should be. But, like, if anything, it's just more reflective of, like, the country we actually live in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. mean, the Houston Texans owner just gave $10,000 to a cause, like, you know, designed to, you know, fight against LGBT rights uh, in Houston. And, yeah. like, right. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's that's more telling than like, whoa, you know, Ryan Mallet and a- Arian Foster share a locker room, and you know they they were listening to Pet- uh, Fetty Wap one day, and you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it goes a little deeper than that.
3: I mean, but that's Absolutely. it's like it's a it's a microcosm of of the country, right? Like, we're, like okay, so maybe you know maybe you know, like I I played with you know I played soccer, and so you know in college we we had people from England and Serbia and Colombia. Africa and like just American white kids, you know, uh and then uh, just American black kids like me, you know, and and maybe you're not racist to that person, right? Like I, like no one called me a nigger, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? So there's that kind of racism. Such that's a low happened. bar.
2: Yeah, Was you it? got lucky, man. But really yeah. but
3: well, that's the like that's the bar we're talking about, right? Because like there's like. In the NFL, right, you got black people next to white people. And then, like the owners, there's, they had to make a rule, the Rooney rule, that they have to hire, um, they have to interview one person of color for a job. They had to like put a rule so that like to keep them from being racist. You know? <laughs> like that's, right. still, that's still in effect today. <laughs> and so, you know, when you when you I think when you subscribe to respectability politics, you can say, Oh, racism's o you know, sports and sports racism's over mm. because black people and white people are handling themselves um, you know, when they're in the locker room. You know, but you <laughs> know, uh but that so you're turning a blind eye to systemic racism. And that's what respectability politics is. You know, that's what Jason Wood's Rock's politics is are
1: to be fair to Whitlock, uh, so two things so so yeah part of that is because sports it, there's this uh there's still patina around sports mm-hmm. as being like the lone pure meritocracy in american oh. life which of course is not true right i mean obviously right. it's not just about hard work and talent and and and, and all that stuff like that it's, it's obviously a confluence of of money and a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. right um but to be fair to Whitlock, i mean he has said that like he doesn't i mean in, in his his initial you know um uh, the explanation 2.0 post he sort of says that he doesn't think that respectability politics. Uh, he didn't call him respectability politics, but doesn't think of like asking black people to be the, their best moral selves is uh, flies in the face of uh, sort of pushing back on like mass incarceration, which I think is a actually commonly held set of like those. Three, I do think a bunch of people hold those ideas in their heads at the same time, fairly comfortably. Oh.
2: We've talked about like all the reasons why black grantland didn't work in this instance, but like. Is there a place for Black Grantland in cyberspace? Do people still call it cyberspace? But like, yeah, uh, it, it, <laughs> is 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 could, could something like that work? Is there is is some is there some sort of like uh, is there some sort of clamor for that sort of reporting and writing in like one spot?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, right? I think that the question about like whether or not that that could even work, right? That that model could even work, is a really good one. Like, s like before we even get to Whitlock and whether he should be the steward of something like that the question around whether or not that is a viable thing should be asked. I mean, if we look at sort of black, black themed sites under major, major media outlets in the past, like, you know, there's not a greater record, right? I mean, it's not clear to me that, that that black Grantland could be a sustainable enterprise. Right. I mean, especially in like, you know, and this is a question about like whether there should be black focused verticals or whatever, or, or, Sort of identity-focused verticals on any news item, whether that should just be folded. I mean, one of the things BuzzFeed has done really well has been to incorporate sort of the uh, uh paint, like the perspectives of its brown and queer people into the coverage, right? And mm-hmm. so it just doesn't. BuzzFeed doesn't feel like this is you know I used to run Black Voices, i happened the post, and it definitely felt like you know but, this is the black shit section, right? BuzzFeed you know what I'm saying? And
0: the cocoa butter though, right?
1: But it's but it's like that's not but it's not it doesn't it's not isolated okay. there, right and I'm not saying that that uh, that it would be that way on Black Grantland but like you know, Grantland is really damn good and they had you know several people of color on there you know I mean Wesley Morris just left but and, and Rembert of course um, but like you know I sort of wonder if I feel I wonder if if that kind of stuff is even necessary like if if it's just not about getting. Uh, brown people who have thoughts about stuff and who are great writers and who have like uh like sort of um slightly different perspectives on things into the sort of the the main veins of those newsrooms you know what mm-hmm. I mean and pitching stuff right because otherwise like okay that's where you go over here to talk about black shit, but like how can you you know t s a layman has this great piece in the s p the magazine about uh, being black at the University of Mississippi. I was Just gonna
2: mention that, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a great piece, and it's like a. I think it's something me and Joel may have joked about before. Like, how do you how do you go to school with rebel? Like, you know what I'm saying? With like right, they yeah. call it the runner. You know what I mean? It's just like I mean, not the runner, they, but you know, they're like they're you know they're just awash in Confederate imagery. Like, who goes there? And KSA has a story. Like, this is what it's like to be a fan of you know Ole Miss uh, football at a school and be black, right? Like that's that's. That's some shit I want to see, and it doesn't need to be in Black Grantland. It doesn't need to be the space where over in the corner, like, you know, somebody's writing about, you know, Michael Brown over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, that stuff plays out in sports all the time, right? And it should be part of the conversation about sports. It's not – that that sort of partition between sports and the larger culture is artificial. It's always been artificial. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's true, especially when it comes to race.
3: I'm, I'm torn at it myself, right, because – Uh, I think the question, you know, if uh, you really need editors, maybe because they're LGBT or or people of color, but like right now we're talking about like, if you have black editors who are out there and deciding stories to black writers and making decisions about, you know, about the vision of the site, I I guess you, you don't, right? But like there aren't enough people out there who give a damn about black people, frankly, for like for that to be who work in a lot of places, you see it at Buzzfeed. I think you know I write about shit and deadspin, and we run it right next to like you know a, a puppy video or, or or you know a dick pic or something like that. You know, you know and I have editors, you know, or, and it doesn't matter. But in most places, you don't. And 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 also, like you know, uh, if you if you say we're gonna staff this place up with twenty black writers, now you're making twenty new jobs for people that might not have had an opportunity otherwise. You know. Mm-hmm. Really. So I'm like, I'm I'm torn. We shouldn't need one, but we
1: do, I guess. You know? Do you though? I mean, would you, like, would you? Okay. Oh no! Oh Would you? Would you? No, I'm saying like, given your drawers, like, let's say like, okay, if there was black Grantland and it was Grantland regularized Grantland, regularized Grantland, that's normative. I know. Don't send me emails. Right. Uh, <laughs> if there was black Grantland and 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 regularized Grantland next to each other, <laughs> um, and one of them they were coming with you with the same money, right? Where would you go? Where would you want to go? I'm going to regular ass Ground. This one, so okay, so okay. Yeah. That's that's all I'm asking. Like wait, so if if you like where would you where
2: would you think like this is oh, where So the white man's ice is colder, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right. That was the countryest <laughs> thing
0: I ever heard, y'all. Oh I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but
1: it's I mean but I'm saying like I feel like what Rembert has been doing over there and what Wesley has been doing over there has been sharp because um, because it's sort of like it is both like honest and smart and funny, and because it's in that space, it's like these are conversations that are complicated by where they live, right? Right. Um, and I sort of wonder if oh god, I'm not trying to get in trouble here. Like, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if not that like we need to integrate, we don't need these institutions. What I'm I sort of wonder if a site like Black Grantland would ever have if it if it would ever be doing the things that they're already doing you know what i'm saying
3: um if it was ever i don't think i don't think at espn i don't think it could happen and be good at espn or be what it's supposed to be um and i think that's true
1: i think it wouldn't be good at any like any every time a major in media organization decides they want to have a black site or black thing that's sort of how it goes and so i wonder like Outside of those things being standalone things that are run by black staffs or Latino staffs or whatever, I sort of wonder what, why those institutions just don't find black and Latino people to be part of, to fold into their their universe as opposed to starting these own little, you know, AAA, AAA leagues for black
2: folks. Man, that's just so uh, tough because I, I agree with Greg that like, yo, we need... Like these spaces, right?
3: I mean, I mean, it, it's just it, it's it's really it feels like a catch twenty two or whatever, right? Like, I mean, a, someone like like you can't you have to give it to someone who is like who is right. Uh, I, I mean, who is right thinking, right? And you have to have to be at a place where we're going to where maybe it we care more about um, the content we put out than the bottom line, right? Because like at the, at the end of the day. Um, black people are like 12%, right? You know what I mean, of, of the nation. So you're you're gonna have a smaller audience. But also, you know, is it going to happen at a, somewhere where you can preach respectability politics, or where you think that those thoughts are, you know, are, are worthy of, of publishing? Are you really gonna have a a really great black site there? You know, you kind of, you kind of, I mean, in that brings up questions too, right? Because Grantland is operating at a loss. Are they, yeah, you know, it's not. In, it doesn't have a very up.
1: big. It doesn't do a lot of traffic. It's a. It's a yeah. Prestigious site, right? It has a lot of like sort of a uh, uh, a cachet, but it is not very very heavily yeah. trafficked.
3: And they're okay with doing that for Grantland, but like, are you okay for just saying we're just gonna we're just gonna have a dope black site that's not bringing the money? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, wh- how much of that is just is is just racism also?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I think that's definitely true. I mean, man, it's just, you just, you, you, you want to see that, right? Because I, I like the world better when we have Ebony and Essence and The Root and The Griot. And, you know, we have these places that like are, are, are doing that sort of work. Um, I mean, like every, you know, most black people grew up. And they had a grandmama or somebody that had like a bunch of <laughs> Ebony's in their house. You know what I mean? Oh, um, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it meant something. It meant something to like, you know, the February, you know, 10 hottest black couples, you know, like that. Is, right. <laughs> um, it, it, or, or even yeah. like, there's even a, there's even, a, I mean, like, not even to like ma- marginalize it like that. Like, there's even a, a, a grander tradition of like black journalism, you know, going all the way back to Idle B. Wells, going back to the Chicago Defender, you know, doing the sort of work and reporting that like the major, uh, you know, media outlets weren't doing um so i mean i think there is i mean like i guess my thing would be like yeah why the hell not like why not if they have the money to do it and they have the wherewithal to do it then they should do it um and like i guess like you know ultimately the traffic and the advertising will like tell the story of whether or not it's working like i actually like don't have a problem necessarily with like people preaching respectability politics because that's actually like it's not uncommon thing that people believe it's a thing like you go home for the holidays you talk to your (laughs) uncles you talk to your aunties you know what i mean you talk to like your average you know 28 year old person that you know graduated six-figure job something like that for the the very few among them uh uh, um, black folks among us that have those sorts of positions that have that sort of influence and you might hear them be like well you know i worked really hard uh, you know, it'd, it'd be good if these guys would just get off of welfare and, you know, get into school. You know, I don't think that like it's that uncommon, right? So, right. Um, like, even e- even have a platform for that is it, not a problem. But I think you got to have something to push back against that too.
1: But you can follow Greg at Greg Howard eighty eight. Greg is a reporter at Deadspin. You can follow Joel Anderson at by Joel Anderson. That's B Y Joel Anderson, all one word. You can follow Taryn at dope reads at D O P E R E A D S. You can follow me at G E D E two fifteen. We love you, J Smooth. Um, See y'all in the week.
0: Our theme music is Nick's Groove by the Foreign Exchange. Shout out to our podcast producers, Channing Kennedy and John Ketchum. Holler at us. Follow Post Bougie on Twitter at P-O-S-T-B-O-U-R-G-I-E and like us on Facebook.